On this episode of the Evangelist Podcast, we're thinking about how to give an evangelistic talk. The Evangelist Podcast from Revival. Find out what's new in telling people the good news about God, the world, and you with Andy Brinkley and Glenn Scrivener. Hello again and welcome back to the Evangelist Podcast. This is the show where we encourage you in your witness to your friends, your family, and even complete strangers. Last time we were talking about how to prepare for an evangelistic talk, Glenn, and this time we're going to look at how to actually give an evangelistic talk. So sort of like the actual delivery. Yeah, what goes on in the pulpit or with the Bible in hand as you address your youth group or in whatever context that you are speaking evangelistically. Okay. Before we get on to that, I just want to tell you about a valuable resource. It's called the International Daily Prayer Bulletin. It's a small 24-page booklet that tells 31 stories of what God is doing around the world. It has stories about the Chinese church and how that's growing, how a convict became a missionary in India, and how a Muslim seeks Allah but finds Christ. We can find more about it in our prayer bulletin. You can get it free of charge by going to revivalmedia.org slash bulletin. So we're looking again at uh, how to give an evangelistic talk. And Glenn, you've been very bold Mm -hmm. and prepared Mm. Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, absolutely. About giving an evangelistic talk. Yes. (laughs) Bit risky, isn't it? (laughs) Can you tell I get a bit angry at points? (laughs) Thou shalt, thou shalt not. Um, Yes, this is is a slightly tongue-in-cheek, but these are ten points that I think you need to bear in mind as you give a talk. Yeah. What have you got first? Then uh, thou shalt worship Christ from the pulpit. Yeah, I, I think this goes as a heading over every other one, really. What we're up to in preaching is worshipping Christ, actually. And I, mm. and I think it's a part of worship. And that's particularly obvious if it's a Sunday sermon we're talking about. But this is a part of the worship experience in which Paul says in Romans chapter 15, verse 16, he said he has the priestly task of declaring the gospel of God priestly task and of course because it's priestly there is a twofold direction mm. in terms of yes he is declaring out from god this word of gospel grace but there's also an, an aspect in which the preacher is not just, he's not just standing uh, before a congregation to declare the truth but standing before the lord to worship him and i think there needs to be that sense of that i I was at the same church as uh, Michael Bourne, who was Bishop of Chester for many years. He was also the rector of All Souls Langham Place for many years. And he was an amazing preacher for actually literally worshipping Christ in the pulpit. And and you would just see him every now and again just get excited about Jesus. And he would sort of lean back a little bit and close his eyes and he would sort of shake his two fists, not in an angry way, but in, in just a, a sense of this is true and this is Jesus. And it was just this wonderful, wonderful sense of worshipping Jesus in in, in that moment. So as you seek to try to worship Christ from the pulpit, I'm not saying try to... Break out in song or something. (laughs) Break out in song. Or or try to pretend to be Michael Bourne, or try to pretend to be John Piper, or try to pretend to be Spurgeon. It's not about putting on airs, but it it is about knowing what you're about, Mm. and to a degree, enjoying it. Enjoying declaring the word of Christ and Mm. being involved in that priestly activity. Mm. Okay, then, uh, number two, thou shalt communicate through both content and style a tangible sense of the newness of God's revelation. Yeah, that's a, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Uh, but it's all about the newness of God's revelation. I am so tired 
of preachers getting up in the pulpit and saying, yes, but of course we all know, don't we? We all, we all know, don't we, that blah, 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 blah. And of course, I'm sure you're all aware that blah, blah, blah. And you think, no, no. We don't know. We need you to tell us. And we need you to tell us again. And I know you told us these things last week, but we forget. And the point of preaching is that every Sunday it needs to come to us fresh. And and we need to be told these things. And it needs to be told with a sense of eager, childlike enthusiasm. You know, so often I, th- I think of preaching as, as like a, a, a drill sergeant just going through the things that their soldiers need to do. You all know that you need to do this. You all know you need to do that. You all need to know you need to do this. As opposed to, we're meant to be heralds of good news. News givers, okay? And, and, you know, George Alagaya on BBC One, when it comes to the six o'clock news, does not deliver these things as though, I'm I'm sure you all know, because you've all been following this story on on Twitter. And everyone has been following the story on Twitter, you know? (laughs) BBC One is the last, you know, sort of channel of news that you're going to get this story in. But they don't tell it as though, yes, of course, you've always heard this before, haven't you? There there really needs to be sense that that tangible sense of of the newness of God's revelation and, and often overestimate people's knowledge and underestimate their intelligence. We overestimate their knowledge all the time and and assume that people know what happens to the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. We we assume that people know this. They they don't know this. We we overestimate their knowledge. We underestimate their intelligence. And I think the way to honor both those truths is to come again and and just to say, I need to tell you these things Mm. fresh with enthusiasm as heralds of news, because that's what we are. Okay, Glenn, but how do you make that difference from having the newness of that without repeating yourself all the time? I think you just need always to be avoiding monotony. And the way to do that is not to fake it in the pulpit, but the way to do it is in your preparation, keep praying over a passage until it is the best news you've heard all week. Mm-hmm. And and I've always, I've always loved sort of preparing new passages for preaching. And it, almost every week I get a new favorite chapter of the Bible. <laughs> And it's the chapter that I'm working on. And yeah. I, I think we just need to pray for that, that genuine enthusiasm. So it's, it's sort of a newness, really, in you rather yes. Than, <laughs> yes. than anything else. Yeah, yeah. Pray for that freshness and for it to come across freshly. Mm. Okay, uh, commandment three, thy tone shall be declarative and devotional. Thy tone shall be declarative and devotional. I think you need these two things from the preacher. You need them to be thoroughly convinced this is true and they need to be thoroughly convinced that this is for you, for you in all your sin and suffering, that it is declarative that you are saying, thus saith the Lord. And let me tell you what you don't already know. Let me tell you this truth. Jesus loves you. Jesus came down into the pit of hell for you. Jesus took the hell that you deserve unto himself on the cross, and he rose up again in glory, and he is offering himself to you. Let me declare that to you, and as I declare that to you, hopefully it's a devotional truth. We were reading yesterday in in staff prayers, John chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus is full of grace and truth. Now, Jesus is full of grace and truth, and if he's the word of God, then what should our preaching be full of? Full of grace and truth. Grace, it's devotional, uh, aimed at the heart, but also truth, mm. that it's, it's declarative. And it's just that sense of, let me tell you what you don't already know. Mm. You've forgotten it this week. I know you've forgotten it, but Jesus is for you. He loves you. He went to hell and back for you. I think that's the tone that we should strike. Mm. Okay, commandment four, thy method shall be expositional. Expositional, yes. So, expositional, what What does that mean? I guess 
what you're wanting to do is expose the text right. and let it be seen for what it really is. We really should be plain in our dealings with the Bible mm-hmm. and just opening up the scriptures and not trying to twist things, not trying to hide things or obscure things, but to try to expose what the Bible says in the way that the Bible says it. That doesn't necessarily commit you to going verse by verse, you know, verse 3 and then verse 4 and then verse 5 and then verse 6. That that might not be the best way to actually expose the, the true meaning of that passage. Mm. You might want to do the, the second paragraph first and the first paragraph second. You know, that, that, that might be the way to expose the meaning of it. But in all that you do, you want to be enabling people to do what the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, verses 10 and 11, you've got the Bereans who are listening to Paul speak and they've mm. got their Bibles and they're able to check... Paul against scripture and they want to see if the things that Paul says are true and we need to have a transparent method to our preaching so that people are able to do that Mm. and and hold us to account is this really what the Bible says and we need Mm. to be plain about yes this is what the Bible is saying and that needs to be sort of above things that we perhaps might have a tendency or temptation to read into the text. Yeah. <laughs> I've got something I want to say. Yeah. And so here's a scripture and uh, it fits quite well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let the Bible set the agenda for the yeah. talk. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So five, thy goal shalt be Christ. Yes. So if our method is expositional, our goal is Christ. And and what I mean by that is actually my job as I'm preaching is not so much to preach Luke chapter 14. Hmm. That's not my goal. My goal is to preach Christ from Luke chapter 14. And there's quite a bit of difference between those two things. Hmm. If I just think my job is to preach the passage and I start in verse 15 and I end in verse 24 and when I'm done, I'm done. Actually, I can do that in a non-Christian way. I can do that unchristianly if I don't actually spotlight Christ and offer Christ to people. So it's very, very important that we don't just preach the passage, we preach Christ from the passage. In John chapter 5, Jesus is surrounded by a whole bunch of Bible scholars who diligently study the Scriptures thinking that in the Scriptures there is eternal life. And, And Jesus says, no, eternal life is not in the Bible. Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 39, these are the scriptures that testify to me. You've got to come to me to have life. Mm. And so that's that's a really a word for preachers. We don't just give people the passage. And, you know, we start in verse 1 and we finish in verse 8 and then we go home for a week. Through verses 1 to 8, we offer people Christ and, and show off Christ and say Christ is for you. That's the goal of preaching. Mm. Okay, then uh, commandment 6, thy fevered entreaty shall not be do as so much as look. Yeah. What are you going on about? <laughs> what am I going on about? I'm, try- I'm trying to be clever and use old King Jamesy language. Um, Thy fevered entreaty shall not be do so much as look. So it's, it's, it's the point of the sermon is not to give people things to do as much as it is to show people Christ mm. so that they look at him. Because that's what faith is. Mm. Faith is looking away from myself and all my own abilities and looking to Jesus and saying, ah, there is the Lamb of God who takes away my sin. There is the one I will trust. And we look to him. And so preaching is all about saying, look, 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 not so much about saying, do, do, do. Mm. And I often give the illustration of um, communion. So however you take the Lord's Supper or communion in your church, whether you go up to the front and get a bit of bread and wine or whether you sit in your chair and get a bit of bread and grape juice or whatever, however it is that you, you do that, 
what you never want to happen as you're as you're taking communion is is you never want someone to press into your hands instead of bread instead of bread imagine they press into your hands a to-do list they just put a post-it note into your palm and it's got six things you need to do this week <laughs> oh thanks all right well, i'll try i'll give it a go this week like we would never do that like in a communion service, but so often preaching can be like that. Mm. Instead of the preacher handing over Christ and saying, he's for you, do you want him? He's yours if you'll have him. He will walk through this week with you. He was given for you on the cross to die for all your sins, to rise up again, give you new life, and he, he is yours. Mm. Instead of preaching that's like that, we give people post-it notes with six things to do on them. Mm. So thy fevered, in, thy fevered entreaty shall not be do so much as look. Okay. <laughs> Uh, number seven, then, uh, thou shalt not apologize for the word. Yeah, have you ever have you ever had that? Like a preacher will sort of maybe maybe it's a, a miracle or something that Jesus performs, and they'll spend literally the first half of their sermon on how actually actually miracles are really quite you know reasonable, and it's reasonable to believe in miracles. And let me let me give you seventeen reasons why, and and so you're you're kind of apologizing for the word, mm. all the while you're disbelieving in the one miracle that will make the audience believe in miracles, which is that God speaks through his words, yeah, yeah. you know, and that he, he is able to, you know, to, to speak through his word. Mm. There's all sorts of things that we can do to apologize for the word. We can make it appear as though, yes, obviously the Bible's very, very harsh, and I need to spend 10 minutes to mm. uh, show you how it's not really so harsh, or, or the Bible's really obscure, and I need to spend 10, 15 minutes telling you how it's not really that obscure. The Bible's really uh, backward or unbelievable, and I need, I need to show you how it's not backward or unbelievable. And, and I, think, I think we can spend far too much time apologizing for the word yeah. instead of proclaiming it. There's that uh, good Spurgeon quote mm. uh, that says, uh, defend the Bible. I'd rather try and defend an uncaged lion. This yes. is, you know, let the Bible out. The Bible will defend itself, yeah. Yeah. You know, we don't need to try and explain the Bible for itself. Exactly. It will, it will speak for itself if we just unleash it. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, then number eight, thou shalt not be clever. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> this is an easy one for me to... Uh, <laughs> well, actually, it's not because I'm, I'm very tempted to tell you. Did you know that the Greek word for excuses is such and such? And actually, it derives from two different Greek words... And sometimes preachers can try and be too clever. And I think it comes from a view of, of preaching as though the preacher is this bold bridge builder mm. who stands in between this obscure world of the Bible on one hand and the modern world of today on the other hand. But this preacher stands in the middle and the preacher is able because they're very, very clever. To be able to, you know, deconstruct the Bible text and do all the archaeology and do all the linguistic work, and then to be able to translate it that into modern language and, and deliver it, and you almost get the sense that you need preachers to be extremely clever and very skillful orators and great communicators, and and that the preacher themselves needs to be this fantastic specimen, when actually the Bible, as you say, is like the lion that mm. you just need to unleash. Mm. And kind of that's, that's the preacher's job. You've sort of got the lion on the leash for a little bit, and then you, you just direct it towards yeah. the congregation <laughs> and let the lion of Judah have his way with yeah. people, trusting that he's uh, ultimately for people and won't just tear them to shreds. Um, and you can really do a great disservice to the Bible if you 
present yourself as this necessary explainer. <laughs> without whom the Bible would be obscure and nobody can understand it. If you, if you thrust yourself forward as this clever clogs, you actually make the Bible into this impotent thing. You mm. make the Bible into this obscure thing, this thing that needs you. Uh, no, let's not have that, please. Let's, uh, let's say thou shalt not be clever. Okay. Commandment 9, then. Uh, thou shalt not go searching for illustrations. <laughs> I think we covered that last time. We, yeah, we? we touched on that a little bit uh, last time about you know, going to various websites just to find your illustrations. The reason I say don't go searching for illustrations, I do use illustrations, but uh, the reason I say that is is that actually probably the passage that you're working on from the Bible has a lot of illustrations already. This was really driven home to me one time when I was um, leading a preaching class and there was one student who um, had to give a talk on John chapter 10 as a kind of a, a model exposition. And he sort of got to the end, and somebody asked him about his illustrations and why he didn't use any illustrations. And he, and he just said, yeah, I just couldn't find an illustration for Jesus the Good Shepherd. <laughs> I, was just, I was just trying to think, what would be an illustration for Jesus the Good Shepherd? <laughs> there was laughter all around the table. We're like, "What do you mean? You don't need an illustration for Jesus? That is the illustration, right?" He's like, "Oh yeah." Like, um, and the Bible is just chock full of illustrations. They're already in the passage. Yeah. Um, we don't need to go around and, and then do an illustration of an illustration. Yeah. Okay, and then Commandment Ten: Then thou shalt not. Go searching for jokes. Yes. Make a joke. <laughs> Be funny, because the Bible's funny. There's, there's lots of humor in the Bible. So uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was preaching on Luke 14, and there's this story that Jesus tells about lots of people making excuses mm. for why they can't come to the feast. And all the excuses are like, I'm washing my hair, or you know, I'm watching television tonight. or And, and you know, the first two excuses are, you know, I've bought a field, I need to check it out. The second is, I've bought a, a five yoke and oxen, I need to check it out. The third is, I've got a wife and I need to, oh. <laughs> like, um, this kind of inherent humor like, that Jesus is sort of building into his... Um, his stories already, and if you th if you feel like you really need to tell jokes to lighten things up, I, I think sometimes we have this idea that we need to sort of throw open the windows and mm. and and freshen things up and liven things up, which betrays a very interesting view of the Bible, mm. as though already the Bible is the dull thing, and the the preacher needs to come in and lighten things up a bit. Mm. Um, I, I just don't think it's like that. Um, don't go searching for jokes. Um, the Bible doesn't need them, and uh, your sermon will probably go better without trying to crowbar in a gag. <laughs> okay, well, we better recap there, Glenn. We've got to ten. So, uh, number one, then, thou shalt worship Christ from the pulpit. Number two, thou shalt communicate through both content and style a tangible sense of the newness of God's revelation. Thy tone shall be declarative and devotional thy method shall be expositional thy goal shalt be christ thy fevered entreaty shall not be do so much as look thou shalt not apologize for the word thou shalt not be clever thou shalt not go searching for illustrations and thou shalt not go searching for jokes okay here endeth the lesson of the ten commandments okay so then how should i sort of tell whether or not i have done justice to, yeah. to the passage that I've done a good talk well here are, here are five questions that you can sort of ask of your own 
preaching um and you know maybe spend some time and just and just kind of um honestly reflect on on these five questions um number one have i communicated jesus and by that i mean have i communicated jesus or have i just moved the bookmark forward in the bible and covered another 12 verses of scripture mm. have i actually communicated jesus have i actually considered this to be like communion in which i hand over to people christ and say here he is he's for you have i done that or have i just informed people or just entertained people have i communicated jesus okay and also have i used or abused the passage yeah, have have I just like what you said before? You know, have I just crowbarred in my own agenda yeah. to the scriptures, um, or have I started with my own agenda and then plucked a scripture from the shelf and kind of tried to fit it to my own agenda? Mm. Uh, am I abusing scripture mm. in the way that I'm preaching? Okay, uh, have I encouraged confidence in the flesh or faith in Christ? Yeah, and, and that's always the choice that's before all of us. Will I trust myself this week? Will I trust Jesus this week? Um, and actually, you, you know, you can kid yourself that you're being a very conservative biblical preacher because you're just going through and you're saying do, 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 do. But, you know, at the end of it, you've actually encouraged confidence in the flesh. You've mm. encouraged confidence that I am my own savior. I am in charge of my Christian life and I can do it. And, and I'm going to... I'm going to go for it. Mm. Have I encouraged confidence in the flesh or have I encouraged faith in Christ? Have I encouraged people to think, actually, at the end of the day, when it comes to my relationship with God, I can't earn that. I haven't done it. Mm. It's Jesus coming to me. Have I encouraged faith in Christ or, or confidence in the flesh? Mm. And have I taken people on a journey from Adam to Christ? Yeah, I, th I think you know, the Bible is that kind of journey from Adam to Christ, you know. Adam who fell, Christ who redeems all things and, and raises them up. And I, and I think wherever you are in the Bible, mm. there is that kind of shape to the Word of God. That sort of the overviewing story yeah, of Adam to Christ. Of Adam to Christ. And that in Adam, there are sins and failures and sufferings. In Christ, there is redemption and mm. salvation and, and peace and new life. And I, th I think our sermons should take that kind of journey. Mm. You know, here is, here is God's good life, the law. It's God's good life, but it's not your life, is it? But there was one who came and lived that life, and he mm. died the death that you deserve, and he ra he was, he's raised for you. Mm. And I think, yeah, our, our preaching should take that sort of shape from Adam to Christ, from law to gospel. Yeah. And have I offered Christ? Have I made promises that people can trust? Or have I just reminded people of some truths? Yeah, and again, it's just, it's going back to that communion thing, isn't it? You know, do we do we do we give people post-it notes or do we give people the bread of life? And I I've, I remember listening to a sermon by somebody. I was I was at the baptism of of one of my godchildren, and and this this guy was preaching on how we need to be like Abraham. Abraham trusted the Lord, isn't that incredible? He you know he stepped out and left his home and was this amazing man of faith. You need to be like Abraham. You, need, you all need to be like Abraham. And his passage was um, in uh, Genesis 17. And in that passage, there are 25 promises. The Lord says, I will do this, I will do that, I will do this, I will do that. And I was just sitting there thinking, he's telling me to trust God, but he's not giving me any promises. Mm -hmm. How am I going to trust? 
like a, a, a trust is the is the response to a promise. And if a preacher is not giving me promises from God, then there's no way I'm going to trust God. No matter how often the preacher tells me, you need to trust God, you need to trust God. Well, trust what? If you're just telling me stuff to do, and even if you're telling me to trust in God, it's not going to work. You know, if, if I say to you, have faith, Andy, you're going to say, have faith in what? And, and unless I give you a promise to trust in, you've, you've got no way of having faith. If faith is what comes by hearing, Romans chapter 10, if faith comes by hearing, then that's what we're seeking to produce by the Spirit, and, and, and it's God's work, but we are, we are part of the, the faith game, so we need to be giving people promises, promises that they can trust. Is our, is our preaching, does our preaching offer Christ and offer the promises in Christ, or does it just inform people? If it's just informing people, it's not really preaching. Okay, well, uh, we better leave it there, Glenn. Uh, we've gone through these ten commandments on uh, how to give an evangelistic talk. Uh, if you have any comments about today's show or you'd like to respond in some way, you can go to the web address of this episode, which is simply revivalmedia.org slash TEP49. Thanks for listening to the Evangelist podcast. If you like listening each week, we'd really appreciate a rating and review on iTunes. It helps us to get seen by more people. It's very easy. Just go to revivalmedia.org slash iTunes. That will take you directly to the podcast page where you can leave us a rating and review. Be very happy if you could do that for us. So again, the web address for this episode is simply revivalmedia.org slash TEP49. (laughs) 